Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Speaking of tomatoes... If you're watching, you see Jacqueline and I dressed appropriately, but Jacqueline Coley, my esteemed co-host, and myself, Mark Ellis here, uh, we didn't coordinate this at all before. We didn't call each other and say, hey, let's go full red today. And Jacqueline not only has a red sweater on, she also has a red hat. So Jacqueline, would you like to tell the audience what you just told me moments before we went to air? I had a whole, you know, Thelma from Scooby-Doo thing going, and you've ruined it with your more of an orange. Like, let's be honest, we're doing autumn colors here, but they definitely are, are very close to each other. Yeah, you're right. This is like an autumnal. I should be like bobbing for apples or casting some sort of spell. You know, this is a very <laughs> I should be drinking like a cider or something like that. This is more of a burnt orange kind of thing. It's not like Texas burnt orange. It's like it's more red than that, but it's like a red orange. If you opened up a box of Crayola crayons. Remember when you get like the 64 crayons and you're just like, oh, my, my whole week is set. It, the the red orange color was one of the yeah. first crayons to disappear because it goes with everything. So I'm saying you and I match with just about anything, including, in my case, uh, a pile of dead leaves. <laughs> also, I really do appreciate like that you're a dude that doesn't understand colors. It really fits with no. you. I don't think you would know the stats from the tuck game, which I like, I would expect you to know all of the ins and outs and who were the major players from the tuck rule game. But I yeah. do not expect you to know the difference between Sienna and Maroon. Well, it is. Th th this is being recorded on the anniversary of the tuck rule game where Charles Woodson thought he had a clean strip of Tom Brady and uh, the refs didn't see it that way. And the rest is history. If you're talking about history, you probably are thinking in a cinematic sense that, hey, some of the biggest blockbusters of all time have been directed by some fellow named Steven Spielberg. Now, he had West Side Story come out at the end of last year and one of his beloved properties has a resurgence yet again this summer, we hope, fingers crossed, Jurassic World Dominion is coming out. And so who better to have on this episode of the show where we're highlighting Jurassic Park, The Lost World, the direct sequel to the 1993 smash hit, than the one, the only. You probably have seen her on the big screen as she introduces the movie. She is the official pre-roll human before the trailers actually start. Scream fanatic, Jurassic Park lover, and the host of Ladies Night on Collider, 
Perry Nemiroff, our old friend. Perry Nemiroff, welcome back to the show. Oh my, that introduction. I should I should have come to expect that from you at this point. <laughs> and as much as I'm a big Velma fan, I think I top you both today because no one's wearing Jurassic Park clothing but me. True. True. <laughs> Although I feel like InGen is not the shirt to be wearing for Lost World. Very no, true. it's like literally the worst shirt you can wear. So you are playing on the side of the enemy in this movie because I don't consider the dinosaurs. You can you can debate whether the dinosaurs are the enemy in the first Jurassic Park. They're definitely yeah. not the enemy in the second Jurassic Park. And that's what we're here to talk about today. But Perry, you've just been on such a run recently with the, the new Scream movie coming out. Five Cream came out and you're a huge Scream fan and you, you've gotten to interview cast members and your cat is named Dewey after Deputy Dewey. And now we get to talk about Jurassic Park and Dominion coming out this summer. Is this going to be like the greatest six months of uh, Perry Nemiroff's entire existence? I don't know if I can handle 2022. We're talking about new movies for my two favorite franchises of all time in a single year. The next, the next order of business, though, you know I have a Jurassic Park tattoo. I need to figure out a Scream tattoo, Ooh. but I'm not creative. And I don't want something that everybody else has. I don't want just right. a ghost face. I want something that is me, something that is mine and mine alone. So if anyone out there has any suggestions, I'm taking them. I don't have suggestions, but I can go, I can tell you a place to go for good ideas. And this is something that I've actually done is uh, alternate movie posters, uh, the Twitter handle. There's also alternate movie poster like websites. They're really interesting because you can take your favorite movie and either somebody like is just, you know, right now in their home deciding they want to like make a new screen poster or it's like a version that was given in Hungary that you don't know anything about. Um, and sometimes the visuals on that might like perk your interest to where you could be like, cause like, this is the trick. Like I'm gonna be the first, um, amateurs borrow, masters steal, be a master. Just wow. steal. Okay. I'm going to go broke after I visit that site. Cause not only am I going to have to pay for a new tattoo, but I'm going to want to buy even more scream art than I already yeah. have. Yeah. Uh, it, I would just take my advice and put the Jiffy pop logo on your left shoulder, but I mean, that's for another day because we are talking about dinosaurs. And why are we talking about dinosaurs? Yes, I now pronounce the term like Mr. DNA. We have some fans that really wanted us to talk about the Lost World, and that includes Johnny Newcomb, who thinks Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about this, and also a shout-out to Sol Laredo, big fan of Jurassic Park and the franchise therein. So the Lost World right now, much to Johnny Newcomb's chagrin, 53% rotten on the tomato meter, which I was shocked by. I was shocked to see it was that low. It's 51% on the audience score. So the critics in the audience see eye to eye on this. I'm not sure that Perry Jacklin or myself will. I just remember walking out of this movie when I saw it in 1997 upon its release opening weekend and thinking, this is up there with the first Jurassic Park. I don't know which one is better. I don't know if I still harbor those feelings, but I will open it up to our guest, Perry Nemiroff. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong with that 53% tomato meter score? Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes is very wrong. That score should be higher. Clearly, you guys know Jurassic Park is my favorite movie of all time. Number one, Scream is number two, but Jurassic Park has that number one spot. I'm not going to get irrational with this whole argument here. I know Lost World isn't as good as the original film, and I don't think anything in that franchise ever will be. But there's still no denying the fact that 
It's a rock-solid sequel with very effective set pieces, effects that hold up, and it's also absolutely loaded with plot points that the series going forward heavily relies on. So this is essential viewing for the Jurassic Park series, and it's also a really solid movie. Things might not be as good as the first one, but thinking about it, I really don't think there's anything bad about the movie either. It's just a little different. Yeah, that first one, Jacqueline, 92%. The classic Jurassic Park from 93. 92% tomato meter, 91% audience score here. 53 and 51%. Jacqueline Coley, is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong? Uh, I actually think Rotten Tomatoes is about right. Like, I could see this going up um, to maybe 60, but yeah, it's about right. Even the adorable little black girl in this movie couldn't save me from any aspect of it being enjoyable you mean the olympic gymnast we'll we'll, we'll get to that plot point yeah. but yeah it, i i feel like this movie should be fresh so i'm gonna say rotten tomatoes is wrong i'm not going to make poster board signs about it i'm not gonna be out in the streets protesting but i do think that this movie deserves to at least be fresh there's some issues i have with the film that really take it down from like where it could have been up in the 80s down to around the 60s. But I think that Lost World is it's it's a fun ride. It's an enjoyable ride. It does get a little too slow for me at points, but I think that the movie at least deserves to be fresh. So before we move on, spoiler warning, as always, is in effect for the movie we're talking about. None of us have seen Dominion yet. I don't think so, because we still got a few months before it comes out. So we will not be spoiling that. Jacqueline, do you want to tell us what the Lost World Jurassic Park is about okay the lost world jurassic park is steven spielberg returning for a sequel and maybe a misguided effort but basically the idea is this there was an island next to the island from the first movie where they just sort of let the dinosaurs run wild and sorry to the little girl from the opening title sequence <laughs> the, the dinosaurs have started reproducing and running wild just like they did on the other island and so you know mr attenborough i don't even know i remember that guy's name actually the character but john hammond <laughs> john hammond there we go i'm like what is the guy's actual name john hammond <laughs> you know, basically taps the mathematician for reasons to go with another ragtag group back to the island and try and round up the dinosaurs. But then we kind of figure out that that roundup is for nefarious purposes. There's tons of people that come in and out of the picture, but basically the idea is there are bad people trying to hurt the dinosaurs. We are trying to save the dinosaurs. And then at the end, one of the dinosaurs makes his way to San Diego in one of the worst 15 minutes that Steven Spielberg ever decided to put in a movie. <laughs> oh, poor Perry. Shaking her head at that one. This is going to be a spirited debate. We're we're probably, none, no three of us are probably that far off with what we think the actual percentage should be in Rotten Tomatoes, but I think there's going to be an exciting discussion to follow. So before we get to that, we turn it over to Tim Ryan, our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes. He's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of the Lost World's release. Tim, take it away. The Lost World had an impossibly tall order to build upon one of the biggest movies of all time. 
So it's no surprise that it fell short of the original Jurassic Park. Critics felt it was decent, bolstered by terrific special effects and a few good scares, but overall lacking the magic and sense of awe that made Jurassic Park such a beloved film. The Lost World is rotten at 53% on the tomato meter with 78 reviews, and it has a 51% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune wrote, I was disappointed as much as I was thrilled because The Lost World lacks a staple of Steven Spielberg's adventure films, exciting characters. However, in a fresh review, Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times wrote, Many people will find much to divert them in The Lost World and not worry whether or not it falls short of Jurassic Park. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, The Lost World demonstrates how far CG effects have come in the four years since Jurassic Park. Unfortunately, it also proves how difficult it can be to put together a truly compelling sequel. So that's The Lost World. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, who promised to make this podcast Dino-Mite. Back to you, folks. JJ, this is going to be good times on this episode. Producer Lucy is here as well. So before we get into movie talk, Producer Lucy, do you have a opening take on Lost World? Is it one of your favorites? Have you seen it? I watched it. I rewatched it last night. I think the last time I saw it was like in 2000. But uh, I'm with Perry. This movie should be certified fresh. This movie slaps. Steven Spielberg knows how to make a scene interesting between two old guys, Jeff and Richard Attenborough. Is that his name? He's not the British bird guy, right? He's the different Attenborough. That's David Attenborough. This okay. is Sir Richard Attenborough. Sir Richard. That that scene in and of itself just shows you how good Spielberg is. Like they know how he knows how to do exposition. So that's just like it's kind of one of the first scenes in the movie. And when I was younger, I didn't understand like that kind of thing. And rewatching it last night, I was like, this movie slaps, dude. Like this is great. Also, dinos are for life. I'm obsessed. When I go to Universal Studios, I go first to Waterworld and then I beeline to the Jurassic World ride. And I just do that for like seven hours. So, yeah, That's this movie should be certified fresh. Park. Yeah. OK, so <laughs> we have some certified fresh and then we have Jacqueline who maybe is siding with it being rotten. So let's get into it. It's time for movie talk. All right. So again, I saw this movie when I was in high school. Me and my friends were very excited. Saw it opening night and walking out of the theater. I was like, oh, yeah, this is on a par with Jurassic Park. And I think the reason why I thought that at the time was because you got great special effects with the dinosaurs. I thought those effects still hold up today. I feel like Jeff Goldblum. I forgot how much Jeff Goldblum's Dr. Ian Malcolm puts this movie on his back at times. Because he's really the only, he really is the audience in this movie because he's the only one that's been to that island before and is like, no, 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 you guys are excited. One of his quotes is he's talking with his girlfriend, Sarah, played by Julianne Moore, and she's talking about all these 65 million years and all these stories he filled my head with. And he's like, uh, stories of uh, mutilation and, uh, and death. And it's like, yeah, we saw that, too, because we saw the movie. So, Perry, when you saw The Lost World for the first time, what was your take on it back then? Oh, I was obsessed with it. I feel like you can't go from being a child obsessed with Jurassic Park to not being obsessed with Lost World. And the way that it expanded the world really kind of blew my mind because I hadn't read the books before I saw the first two movies as a kid. And, you know, going back to what Lucy was just saying in terms of the exposition, in particular, the stuff between Hammond and Ian at the very beginning of the movie, 
The whole idea of there being Isla Nublar, which I already knew very well from the first film, but then, oh my God, there's Isla Sorda, there's a Site B, there's like a laboratory island where they actually make them. Can you imagine what the world over there is like? And then it actually transports you to that world and you get world building to the max and you really see the full scope of what John Hammond and his team were doing over there. So you saw this in a theater, I assume. Uh, Jacqueline, were you in the theater for this or did you catch it later? This was a later watch. This very much feels like a TNT watch for me. Um, Like just based on like, well, when this came out, like it just around that time, it wasn't, this was not the time of day that I, this was not the time of day when I was running to the theater all the time. It was that sort of part of the adolescence, but yeah, this is a TNT watch. And then I have watched it again. And then rewatching it this morning, I realized I do not remember any of this movie. Like it really, like I, I had to like really revisit it looking back. Cause like when Vince Vaughn popped up, I was like, he's in this. <laughs> like it felt like every 10 minutes there was like another actor from the 90s that I had like forgotten. And I was like, oh, this dude, the dude, the Kobayashi dude is here. And also we have Vince Vaughn just randomly showing up and Peter Stormar like, hi, dude, what's up? Where's Leon? Like, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like it was like just a too much stuff going on. Yeah, it's it's a robust cast and a lot of uh, a lot of people popping up that you still see in movies. Julianne Moore, like we said, Sarah is uh, Ian Malcolm's girlfriend. You have that cameo from Tim and Lex at the beginning, and yes. you also get to see Dr. John Hammond. And so that's really what sets us off on our adventure is that this family was on vacation and they decided to camp at what they didn't know at the time was one of the islands that was known as it's one of the five deaths, as the locals call it. So they're out there. Their daughter gets uh, attacked by some tiny dinosaurs and then oh no we got to spring into action so dr john hammond says we just need to prove that these dinosaurs are flourishing in their natural habitats. so now we can just make this island dino island and not allow people there and so dr ian malcolm he's like hey why don't you come and and help me and dr ian malcolm's like hell no because not only do I never want to go back and see an island full of dinosaurs again, but I also have been ridiculed and lost good portions of my career because everybody thinks I'm a conspiracy theorist because nobody believes my story as to what actually happened on the original island. And so there's a whole lot of emotional investment going into this until Dr. Ian Malcolm finds out, oh no, the girlfriend's there, I gotta go, his daughter, Uh, manages to be a stowaway on the ship. And so she arrives on the island as well. So we have a whole lot of components here. And if I had to break it down to, there's scenes that I love in this movie and there's also scenes that frustrate the hell out of me because I don't think they were necessary. Perry Nemiroff, the scene in Jurassic Park Lost World that you are like, that is why I loved it then and I loved it now. Which one would you point to? Oh no, that's a big question. I know. I'm obsessed with the long grass. I love the horror feeling of the raptor attack in the long grass. I think that's brilliant. But Mm -hmm. going back to the opening, if anyone out there hasn't read these two books, the opening with Kathy is pretty excellent in the Lost World book. So I highly recommend checking that out. But that is one heck of a way to start this movie off with a bang. There's also a horror quality to that as well. And I think that kind of runs throughout this entire movie, but without taking away from you know, that sense of adventure. Kathy, darling, lunch is ready. Are you looking at this? I'm afraid there isn't enough to go around. 
Timothy! There. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Mark, I'm really curious what scenes drive you nuts, though. Like, I'm, I'm so, like, sitting here ready to go and explain to you why, no, they are good and they are necessary. Okay, okay. It's going to be a good debate, but I will side with you on the Steven Spielberg aspect of this because Spielberg, look, look, the guy makes great family films. He's done everything from E.T., BFG, Tintin, all these great films. And Jurassic Park, you took the whole family to see it. There's a lot of horror in that. And if I need to remind anybody about that little shark movie that he made, that is a horror movie, okay? Jaws is in the horror section at Blockbuster, at least the one in Bend, Oregon, that still exists. And you see a lot of that in this film, like with that opening scene. I mean, the opening scene of the little girl who stumbles upon the dinosaurs kind of reminded me of the opening scene in Jaws, where it's just this, it's youthful innocence, and you run amok, and then nature makes you pay for it. And so before we get to the scene that tortures me, Jacqueline, do you have a scene that you caught and you're like, okay, that's why I don't, know that this movie should make it all the way too fresh. What's interesting with this movie is it's not every scene necessarily. It's like the premise and a lot of the reasons why people are there. Like, why is this person there? That's that's like, I'm like, why are we following them on this? But the one that like, it should have been my jump up and cheer moment. Gymnastics saves you from a raptor. I'm done. <laughs> okay. I'm done. That girl loses a foot. That girl yeah. loses a foot. Like, no. Okay. I'm not going to so, say that that scene is realistic or believable or a smart decision on Kelly's part. But if you look at that character's arc in the movie, she needed to contribute something. They established that she cut, sure. got cut from the gymnastics team. That is her moment of stepping up. And I give it to her. School cut you from the team? Okay, here's my question then. Because 
the scene is towards the end of the movie where we and, and this is why Steven Spielberg is a great family filmmaker. It's because a lot of times it is the kids doing the heavy lifting in the most crucial scene, as is the case here. It reminded me of Tim and Lex in the first one where they figure out how to outsmart the raptor in the kitchen. Here we have one girl by herself who does all these crazy gymnastic stunts with like the 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 uneven bars and it helps save the day and it helps avoid capture by a dinosaur. My issue with it is that that is set up at the beginning of the movie that she got cut from the gymnastics team. And then after she does this magnificent stunt, Jeff Goldblum, her father, comes up and says, honey, you got cut from the gymnastic team? And it's a funny line. It's a good line that works. But why did we have to have her get cut? Why couldn't we just put in that little plot point at the beginning? Because the only reason it's there is to have her save the day later. So why couldn't we say she's the best on her team and she doesn't like gymnastics? Why can't we say that she's about to travel, but she's but the, the other girls make fun of her? There could have been any other thing. If you get cut from your gymnastics team, you're not. I've been cut from a basketball team in seventh grade. I, I was not playing basketball to save a camp from dinosaurs two days later. That is what is unrealistic <laughs> about the movie. The good news, Perry, is that that's the biggest gripe I have with this movie. It's because she's having a rough time. Look at her relationship with her father. Her mother just picked up and went off to Paris. Who knows what she was going through that kind of diminished the raw talent in gymnastics that she had <laughs> that caused her to get cut from the team, even though she might not have deserved it. Or yeah. I'm just going to say the elephant in the room, racism. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally was like, they didn't want the little black girl to be Dominique Dawes. They wanted Sharon Miller. Sorry, that is a really deep cut of 90s gymnastics stars that you yep. either had to be there to know the Shannon Miller, Dominique Dawes stuff, but there was tension. There was tension I mean, on that team. It's it's why we keep going back to the Olympics. There's always tension with the team <laughs> on gymnastics. So if you look wait, at this wait, wait. movie... I just want to say something about the gymnastics yeah. black girl, though. I just really quickly... I love that Steven Spielberg loves the idea of children taking the lead. And he came mm -hmm. to this movie because he wanted to come back to his like something familiar after Schindler's List, something that he had done before and, and go into child wonderment. But I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like with so many decisions with this, he made like, I just love this gorgeous, adorable black girl. Let's just put her in the movie. And he shoehorned her, I think, in ways like, that, I get his kid, Malcolm's kid. I get it. I understand the whole, like, what she is as far as the dynamic of them being parents, like the Vince Vaughn throwaway line of, like, don't see this family resemblance. Like, okay, I get that joke. <laughs> yeah. But I think the bigger thing about that is, it's like, it just didn't feel natural. So everything that she did felt unnatural from the gymnastics to even her funny, like, clips with Jeff Goldblum. They were cute together. They were whatever. But I just wish Steven Spielberg wasn't so sad after Schindler's List. And so he could be a little bit more of, like, a dictatorial director and, like, kill his darlings. Like, he just was going, this was his comfort food movie. There's a little kid that gets mauled in the opening scene. Now, and she lives within a beat after that. They have yeah, to make does. sure you know she lived. Meanwhile, the home dude, uh, what's his name? Uh, Peter Starmore's character gets eaten, like, like dined for dinner, eaten so quickly. How did that child survive? I, I, she I, had I, people to run and save her that were a short screamed. distance away. No they one screamed. No one they... heard Dieter. Carter was not listening. His team <laughs> was not there for him. Also, yeah, F Carter. Like, and he deserved it too. He that guy, jerk. that well, guy. Well, there's a Carter. lot of people that deserve uh -uh. it 
in this movie because like in the first Jurassic Park, you, you remember we're sitting around the boardroom and we have basically the entire main cast is arguing against this park ever opening. You have Sam Neill, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum are on the same page with like, no, 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 you can't do this. Nobody's really excited about it. And then except for the lawyer, as John Hammond says, the blood sucking lawyer is the only person on my side in the sequel Lost World. Everybody is on the side of, yeah, let's go look at some dinosaurs. These are fun creatures. And Jeff Goldblum is the only one who is like, y'all, we really should not be doing this right now. And so his back is against the wall, which is why I'll defend the inclusion of him having a daughter, because it does make him a more well-rounded character as opposed to just this rock and roll mathematician that we knew from the first film. So I think we care about him a little more emotionally than we would have otherwise. But then you have all these other people that come in and what Spielberg is great at is establishing a villain. Now, a lot of the humans you can say are villains, but when Pete Postlewaite shows up, who's an amazing actor, apparently there's a like on, on YouTube, people just wanted us to talk about Pete Postlewaite because he's just this great hunter who wants to get himself a buck. He wants to get himself a T-Rex. And as soon as he comes on screen, every one of us in the theater or watching at home are like, I cannot wait for you to get your comeuppance. That is a great villain, Perry. I have so, I'm like bursting at the seams right now with points I wanna bring up. First, with John Hammond's mission, it's important to remember why he's doing this to begin with and why, you know, I do think that Nick and Sarah do sign up because they wanna see dinosaurs, especially yeah. for Sarah, who is really passionate about her work. But they're really going there to protect them. The only way that they can convince the world and get the laws in place that they need to ensure that no one is allowed to go to the island is if they get the proof to show to the world and get that world support. So they, they have a very big reason to go there. And then once they get there and you get the more villainous types of characters, that's where we see, you know, how this movie is kind of about the the perversion of John Hammond's original dream. Because yes, there were obviously investors before, but more of that, more of the focus of the first movie was on John Hammond's genuinely passionate endeavor. Like he didn't want to just make money. It's the lawyer who wants coupon day and things like that. John Hammond wants to bring back dinosaurs for families to experience together. And then this movie basically shows, you know, corporate influence at its worst, not heeding the warning of the events of the original film and trying to make profit off of what's left, no matter the risk. And, you know, when you look ahead in the franchise, our baseline for dinosaurs on the mainland, which is driven by the corporate interest here, is created by Lost World. When the dinosaurs escape from the mansion in Fallen Kingdom, my mind immediately went back to this particular movie, and this particular movie reminded me why it's so dangerous and why it's nearly gonna be impossible to recontain those dinosaurs. So it, it continues to build on the themes that were established by the very first movie. And yes, Pete Postlewaite is absolutely perfect as Roland. Life finds a way. So, Jacqueline, does the whole movie sort of bug you when you put it on, or are you just like... I mean, I still feel like the movie was necessary. Look, it, it was arguably the biggest movie ever, and it broke a lot of records. The, the first one did. second one made a crap ton of money, too. Do you think that it was necessary? Do you think that we should have stopped at one? I mean, where were you on the fact that we were even making this sequel? Oh, I'm a fan of sequels. I just don't know if I'm a fan of Steven Spielberg doing his own. 
Like, and I'm not saying that no shade to him. Obviously, the man knows how to direct a movie, but he's even come out and said, sequels aren't my thing. Like, I need something that is a first taste of originality. And, and like, this movie was the one that taught him that. And so for that, I'm actually kind of grateful because he had made the right decision with both E.T., with uh, Back to the... Like, he didn't direct, but you know what I mean? But, like, the Back to the Future trilogy, his involvement with Jaws, with that. I mean... Yeah. I'm... I'm sure he had a dump truck full of money backed up to his driveway yes. to make the second Jaws. And he's like, ah, I'm good. Y'all have fun water skiing. Yeah, I think he's just learned like, hey, this is not my bag kind of thing. And so I'm kind of glad for this movie on that. And I think the reason why is because, it, again, it just doesn't gel. He got the right players involved. Richard Schiff. Like, I was like, first of all, beardless Richard Schiff was so surprising to me in this one. He got all the right players involved. The Michael Crichton book, as Perry points out, was really popular and also, I think, has a good story. The problem is, is that this needed to be a horror movie, a straight up horror movie. Instead of a mansion, you have an island. This is the haunted house with the monsters popping out at every turn. And where the movie is great is when that is like at its high, like the tall grass that she says, or like the, I can't believe we haven't talked about this, the glass scene where the glass yeah. is slowly breaking, legitimately amazing cinema. Absolutely amazing cinema. Have you ever seen cinema. behind the scenes footage of how they filmed that? Yes, definitely. I can watch that over and over and over again. Yes, so, What's the so beach? good. How do you do that? They did it on a sound stage. And they basically recreated a like a cliffside, and there's I mean you could easily look it up on YouTube, and it's just it, like it's it's incredible. And then when I rewatch the movie and I think about how they pulled it off, and I look at like there's one shot where where you have Vince Vaughn in the background, then it's Jeff Goldblum, and then you have Julianne Moore in the foreground, and watching the focus shift between them, it's mm-hmm. just like that. That right there is movie magic, even beyond the dinosaurs. Absolutely, and the the graphics for this very much still stand up, like right up against stuff that I probably saw this year or last year. But just because you have all the pieces together does not mean that you can thematically put this movie in a place that works. Because let's be honest, how weird is it that you're trying to do this child wonderment, also slightly environmentalist, slightly horror movie, slightly corporate is bad thing. That's just like a lot of tones to try and gel. That's the point, though. I know that's, that's, the, point, that's the point, but they didn't the chi- do it well. the child wonderment <laughs> kind of being consumed by the corporate greed. You need to do both. I'm not saying that you can't do both. I'm saying this movie didn't do a good job at it. I was basically just trying to say, like, there was too much and that it didn't fulfill certain aspects equally. I will okay. agree. I will agree to disagree on that. But just to bring back uh, Roland in this, because I think earlier in the conversation we labeled him as a villain, and and yes, he is a villain, and it breaks my heart what he does to the baby Rex to learn what he wants and mm-hmm. what he plans to do to the male Rex. But I always look at that end line as Roland coming to realize what he just contributed to, and there being a tinge of sorrow to it. So. I don't know. I think I'm I'm shifting him from villain to not anti-hero because it's not like he does anything to stop it, but at least someone who came to understand the wrongs he did. Well, mm. and, and 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 that's what you get with even great villains. But I won't give them up to the level of redemption. I'm not going to say, oh, thanks for redeeming yourself. And I still have arguments with with Star Wars fans where it's like, 
Star Wars to me has never been about the redemption of Darth Vader. It's like, dude took his helmet off at the very end and said, tell your sister you were right. Sorry about all that, Luke. And it's like, okay, thanks, Dad. You're still the worst force in the entire galaxy not named Palpatine. And Roland is still a complete alpha male jock douche who sets up the worst scene in the movie for me just because I'm literally watching this movie last night with Molly the Wonder Dog and I'm thinking like it, it I, I can't do it with animals I can't do it even if they're animals that have been genetically re-engineered thanks to a Barbasol can I can't deal with the torture and so I was rooting against him so hardcore but that makes him a great villain in the movie and if you're talking about the hero of the film I still I don't think people give enough credit to Jeff Goldblum for what a great lead actor he is. I mean, we, we look at him now as just this fun guy who pops in and is a side character in like a romantic comedy, or he's got his own show and he's just become this, this like a Christopher Walken type where we're doing impressions, but we forget what a great anchor he is in this film. I think that they made the right choice. And again, I don't know if Laura Dern or Sam Neill wanted to be a lead in this. I feel like this plot was the best foot to put forward for a direct sequel to Jurassic Park. I would have rather had him in there. If I can only have one, I'd rather have him than either Dr. Alan Grant um, or, or really anyone else. I think that it was Ian Malcolm was the right call. Do you all feel that they made the best decision possible with him as the lead of the sequel? Yes. I think Jeff Goldblum is the right choice, both because of what he does and for who he is and how he looks and, and all of that. I think... Um, the I think the things that work in this movie are all of his one liners. So like he needs to be that quippy sort of joke machine behind everything else. Yeah, it just it doesn't gel. It's like a cake that doesn't rise. All the ingredients are there, but it just doesn't rise. It's boring at times like it is like at times this movie just sort of washes over you and then you get the cool glass scene and you're like, oh, I'm right back in it or somebody dies and you're like, I'm right back in it. But the minute it's it is the home run derby. You were yeah. standing at home plate and <laughs> you are going to connect and like hit it out of the park or you're going to miss. And when you miss, you're going to look really bad doing it. I'm so yeah. curious, Jacqueline, what part what part bores you? Uh, basically everything once we get to San Diego, like, I don't care. Like, either, like, I swear to you, I do not care once it gets to San Diego. I, the movie just needed to already be over. Oh, I love, I loved the horror qualities of the San Diego stuff. Like the, like the ticking clock of, of if the, the, the container will open and if it will come out and the pressure of the baby Rex waking up from all the medication that it's under and the pressure of getting the big Rex back to the boat. I feel like that is, that's a sequence that just builds and builds and builds. And like, like I know there's some, like after Jurassic Park and after everything that happened in the first two thirds of Jurassic, of uh, Lost World, there's, you know, there's something extremely different about seeing a Rex running around a suburban neighborhood, but the franchise literally wouldn't have been the same without that. And I still think that some of those scenes within that sequence are incredible, like especially as a kid, as a kid going to see the Lost World in theaters, I wanted to be that kid in the bedroom who woke up in the middle of the night, looked out the window and saw a T-Rex. <laughs> It's sort of the natural <laughs> evolution of where you would have to go with a sequel because we got the cool look at the T-Rex on an island on a on an enclosed place. And so now we got to go bigger with the sequel. I, I will say this. I was not bored by the end of the movie. I, I think it gets ridiculous. I think the nod to Godzilla probably doesn't really play as well today as it does, you know, 25 years ago. But I still think that 
there's some redemptive quality about just seeing what could happen. I mean, if you needed a a loud bullhorn to say why we should not be genetically engineering dinosaurs, it's less the first movie and it's more because they're going to get on the mainland, whether you like it or not. Life finds a way and humans will find the dumbest way to make that life flourish in any environment. So I I like the cautionary tale that we get as a button to the lost world. And again, I, I, I think that it is it, it's so funny having seen the movie and then watching them telegraph it to you upon rewatching it, because in one of the early sequences where you have Dr. John Hammond talking to Ian Malcolm, he says, no, 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 we're not going to make any of the same mistakes. And Goldblum says, well, yeah, you're going to make all new ones. And it's like, no, that that's what comes to pass. But we still had a fun ride. And so, again, now that I'm even talking about this movie, Perry, I th- you've won me over to it being fresh. Th- there's no question in my mind. I think it's a fresh movie. I just think that there's a clear distinction between the greatness of the first one and the following in the footsteps of the second one. I can never deny that. But for what it's worth, John Hammond might have been able to make do on what he said at the beginning of this movie if it wasn't for the takeover of InGen and something happening out of his control. Like I do, I do really believe that if, if only the team that Ian was with wound up on the island, they would have done what the goal was and the course of events in this franchise would have been completely different. But again, as this franchise proves time and time again, greed and money always takes over and it swoops in to mess with even the purest dreams out there. Yeah, greed, money, and champagne. Champagne is really the root of all evil in these movies. If you open a bottle of champagne, bad things are going to happen to you and anyone you've ever loved. So next New Year's, just maybe you want to sip on a Coors Light or even Perry, you can have a blue moon. Look out for the champagne because as soon as rich people start popping bottles, dinosaurs attack. That's what happens. I want to get y'all's ratings, not of the new... You know what? Go ahead. Put every Jurassic Park movie, every Jurassic Park flick. We've got five of them now as we look forward to Dominion. Jacqueline, I'll start with you. I think we all have the OG as our favorite. What's your second favorite Jurassic Park movie? Man. Yeah, I know. I did. You know, I've never seen three all all the way. I watched. This is just random. I I should have texted you. I had three. Three just came on the the other night and I started watching it. I didn't even know we were doing this podcast this week. And I was kind of digging it. I was like, we're having some fun here. When you guys tackle that movie on this show, you call me back. I have a case to make for that movie. I'm okay. sure you do, sweetie. It's like 20, it's like 20 <laughs> something sure percent on rock, 20 something. Okay. I'm it's, sure you do. It's got it, a lot of value to it. I'm going to buy Jacqueline some time here because, Perry, I think you have your, your, <laughs> your rankings uh, pretty sorted out. So, what is the second best Jurassic Park movie? I still teeter Lost World, but I'll admit that it's partially nostalgic because I also really do love Jurassic World and I love that it does the repeat of the original, but with seeing John Hammond's original dream coming to life and then falling apart again, I do think there's great value in the repetition of the franchise there. Then after that, I'll go Fallen Kingdom, which I still like quite a bit because of the uh, the horror elements and how they tackle the material on the island at the beginning. And then... You know, I, even though I can defend Jurassic Park 3, I also can't deny the fact that it is the weakest link in the series. I still love it, but it's at the bottom of my list. Uh, Jacqueline, I, I called a timeout for you. I'm two-minute drilling this, but now 
the ball is in your hand. <laughs> Honestly, I would give it to Jurassic World. And that is not that is a deep, deep second place. It's a uh, chasm. In, yeah, there, there's okay. a lot distance between Jurassic World and the original. However, the scene where you follow the kid through the park in that wide opening shot that just sort of like where he literally opens the door. That is probably one of the most like of all of the movies that have called back to originals. And I do feel like now we definitely need to like do an entire video case talk about requels. But (laughs) that is probably one of the like bring in new hit nostalgia and get everybody invested in what you're about to do shots that has ever existed. I literally live for that shot. It is so, so, so well done. And the anti-chemistry between Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, I think is actually real. Like, I don't think those two people actually get along, but it very (laughs) much feels like they would bang like really a lot. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like in real life, I think that's who these people are and it bleeds onto the screen and I love it. So Jurassic World is my number two, although I'm very well aware of where that movie has its flaws. It's literally one like it's got some really great moments yeah I, I mean that movie made so much money jurassic world did then i was so bummed that all, everybody was talking about why is she wearing heels it's like well she was dressed up and she had a job to do and then she now she has to run around it's, it's not like you just get all the time in the world of costume change before dinosaurs start chasing you i mm-hmm. still think jurassic world is a little more rewatchable for me but lost world is way up there fallen kingdom perry the first 45 minutes i was like this this is this might be as good as the first one But again, I cannot deal with the scene. It's a beautiful shot. I can't do it. As we're pulling away from the island and it's burning and we see the dinosaurs, but I I can't do it. I I can't do it. I'm taking the kids here and the kids are going to see Uncle Mark cry. I can't do the dinosaurs being torn. Again, they, they came. They're fake. They're not real. First of all, they're fictitious. And second of all, they were genetically engineered. And I still care more about them than I do most of the humans in my life. That is true. So I'll, I'll give it to Jurat. I'll give it to Lost World. Fine. I'll be nice today. Lost if World, you are second ever best part having here. a conversation about whether the dinosaurs or the human characters are the heroes or the villains, it's always the dinosaurs in the right. They are always the heroes. None of them mm-hmm. has to come back. Mm-hmm. Even when you talk about the, the Indominus, which was like essentially like a man and dino eating monster that is very, very scary. Mm-hmm. The Indominus didn't make that choice. He, she was like built into what we see in Jurassic World. So the dinos are always right. If this is a football team, I want everybody to, as Bill Belichick would say, do your job. The humans mess their <laughs> jobs up constantly. The dinosaurs do their job every second of every movie. They're doing what mm. dinosaurs are supposed to do. So let's do mailbag. This email comes from esteemed Ketchup Crew member Megan Room. And Megan says, Hi, Mark and Jacqueline. I grew up watching so many Disney movies in the early 2000s, and they are all so amazing and so lovable. I was crushed to see that Atlantis, the Lost Empire, is rotten. I think it's an amazing ensemble cast of characters. It's witty, it's sarcastic, and it's also got a great overall message. Please make this small town Midwest girl day and give it a good rundown on RT is wrong. Thank you. And that is from Megan Room. Well, thank you, Megan. I think that some of those Disney movies from the 2000s, it's almost like they just couldn't follow in the wake of the 
The Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Hercules of the 90s. So maybe we should give some of those a watch back. Um, Atlantis, Perry, that, that, that's kind of right up your Congo alley, right? It's, it's another lost city. Admittedly, it's something that I haven't rewatched in quite some time, but I do remember around when it came out, at least, enjoying it. And I could, I could pretty vividly remember some of the the action sequences, too, and thinking that the movie was was a pretty solid animated thrill. Uh, Jacqueline, you on board with Atlantis? Have you seen it, or are you and I going to watch it together nothing. for the first time? We're going to watch this together for the first time. I was thinking of the Treasure Planet movie when she said this, and then I was like, oh, this is not that. So I don't know what this movie is. I vaguely, is, vaguely remember it. Like being Michael a J. Thing. Fox, Jacqueline. I think you'll like it. It's got some of the hottest characters. <laughs> the animation. There's a blonde woman in it that like has some great fight scenes. That's not Treasure Planet. Ooh, no, this one is about like the people all have white hair. The Atlanteans and uh, Michael J. Fox is like a archaeologist or a historian and. His grandpa believed in Atlantis, and there's this old man. It's just beautiful. There's no, so many good okay, things no, about it. No, okay, no, I have it. seen this one. I have seen this one. I have seen this one. All right, I've the never reason, seen it. I know yeah. that. I love me some Michael J. Fox. So, I'll, Megan, we, we we should do that. We'll we'll look up uh, Atlantis and uh, try to bring it to justice and give you our take on whether we think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. As for this episode, Perry Nemiroff, it's just a thrill to just be coasting on your coattails through this magic time in your life you're having with all the Scream, with all of the Jurassic, with you. Again, folks, you go see a movie in the theater and there's a lot of fun ones coming out. You're going to see Perry odds on that she's going to be giving you the rundown and the pre-roll and so it's just it's an exciting thing and I could not think of a more perfect job for a more perfect person and I'm just I'm glad that you are still your fun jovial humble self when it comes to this it's so fun watching somebody get to do what they love it's, it still feels like you're lying to me when you say that <laughs> like I, sh I shot the thing and heavily contribute contributed to filming it but like, is that really a thing that plays before movies like Scream? <laughs> I, I see it on my social media all the time, so oh, I can't okay. imagine how much you're seeing it. I, yeah. it. It blows my mind to no end. Well, it's well-earned and could not have happened to a better person. Do you have a, uh, a good, like, recommendation for us as far as, like, something we should be watching, streaming, paying attention to? So it feels like I have to bring this one up, considering I'm on the show for a Jurassic movie. Uh, Camp Cretaceous is excellent. It's the animated series on Netflix, and it is, it's a show about a bunch of kids that go to a place called Camp Cretaceous to learn about dinosaurs, and it takes place around the Jurassic World era. And, you know, I understand that if, you, if you're like me, if you grew up loving these movies and you love the horror elements of it, you might look at an animated Jurassic show and think, well, like, that's for kids, that's not for me. That is not the case. There are some really, really powerful character arcs in this, and also it, it gets pretty scary sometimes. It's also the show, I used to always say the, the Rex and the Raptors were my favorite, but I think the Ankylosaurus is my new favorite dinosaur because I love Bumpy so much. So go have even more fun in Jurassic and watch Camp Cretaceous because it's well worth your time and a very too quick of a binge because then you get sad when you have no more. 
I did not know this existed, but I have a great recommendation for my niece and nephew, the older nephew now, maybe the younger one still. There's always a debate, I think, in every household about when the kids are old enough to see Jurassic Park for the first time because you just so want to put them in front of the TV to see the dinosaurs, but you also remember how scary the dinosaurs can be. So maybe that's a good entry point. I will talk to the brother and sister and get back to y'all. As for this episode... That does it. You can follow Perry Nemiroff on social media at Perry Nemiroff, or again, just pay for a ticket to see a movie and she's going to show up. (laughs) She's like the T-Rex. She shows up on every big screen. It doesn't matter where you are. You're going to see Perry Nemiroff. Thank you again, Perry, for joining us. You can email us. uh, Like I said, RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com, wherever you enjoy this podcast, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And Jacqueline, next week, Possibly the biggest episode in the history of RT is Wrong. And I am not just building it up that high because we're not sure what the movie is. Do you know? I have no idea. Lucy, any hints? Well, I'm trying to book this person that... Ooh, big guest. So we'll see. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'll tell you guys about it next week if it happens. Um, And maybe (laughs) even if it doesn't happen, I'll tell you about it then. Well, Well, I think we'll all know if it happens. You will. We'll be doing the show. You will. Yeah. So TBD on the movie. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to wait for the movie, but you know it's going to be. Have we ever steered you wrong before, listeners? No, we haven't. At least that's me answering my own question. For Jacqueline Coley, my great co-host, Perry Nemiroff, our esteemed special guest today, engineer Brian Perez, producer Lucy, and the whole gang here at Rotten Tomatoes, I am merely Mark Ellis saying thank you for enjoying us, and um, life finds a way. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.